0: it's 8:06. you you're listening to the local news hour on kpcw i'm michelle dininger it is wednesday it is a chilly snowy start to march today on the phone with me now is thomas Geboy from the abc forecast center good morning
1: good morning michelle it's uh, march 1st as you mentioned so it's the first day of meteorological spring but mother nature seems to have other ideas and mother nature is just continuing on this winter theme and we're going to be looking at more snow today in park city more or less through the daytime the winter storm warning that we have for the wasatch back continues through five o'clock this afternoon so really the best chance for snow is going to be now through at least the early portion of the afternoon the storm system moving in the brunt of it's going to be felt in the southern two-thirds of the state but we're going to have that pretty good chance in northern utah including the wasatch back through at least the early portion of the afternoon and then by this evening into tonight that's when that moisture will finally begin to clear and start to work its way down to the south but during the daytime hours today I do think that we could see an additional three to seven inches of snow in park city and especially with that southerly flow we could do quite well especially during the early portion of the day something to keep in mind if anybody's getting out on the roads i just checked the cameras around kearns boulevard in park city and it's definitely looking a little bit snowy out there to say the least and then as we go into tonight as mentioned we'll start to see those Uh, the snow showers clear down to the south and then we'll transition to partly to mostly cloudy skies the overnight low tonight in park city dropping to 11 degrees but with those winds switching out of the north it's going to make it feel even colder during tonight we actually could see the wind chill values drop close to zero if not below zero in park city going to be a very cold start to our thursday morning And it's going to be a chilly day on Thursday, but at least it will come with some sunshine. So mostly sunny skies, a daytime high of 28 degrees. Wind chill values, though, likely going to be in at least the single digits or teens throughout the bulk of the day on Thursday. But for anybody going up to the mountains, should be a bluebird day. Just want to make sure you dress in extra layers and have the sun the uh the sunshade ready to go then on thursday night into friday another quick system is going to drop in from the north shouldn't be anything too significant but friday will bring us a chance for snow showers the daytime high is still going to be mainly in the 20s and we could see maybe an additional one to three inches so again nothing significant but we will at least have that chance for snow on friday then back to partly cloudy skies for friday night into our saturday the temperatures will come up slightly for our saturday the daytime high getting back into the low 30s but then we're right back to active weather going from Sunday into early next week so snow is likely on Sunday we'll have a chance of snow on Monday and we'll hold on to that chance for snow on Tuesday daytime highs will kind of level out right around freezing each day and overnight lows are mainly going to be in the mid teens so we'll be looking at some calmer conditions for our for for our Thursday and for our Saturday but really for the bulk of the next seven days we're gonna be looking at more chances for, for snow Michelle
0: it just keeps coming
1: I mean we'll take all that we can get but I know that it's causing quite the headache especially for anybody getting out on the roadways so we're definitely looking at those slippery conditions.
0: That's it, and it's we're running out of places to put it. It's gonna run off and be good for the reservoirs, though, so we've got that to look forward to after we're done skiing.
1: Yeah, for sure, just keep the fingers crossed that we don't warm up too quickly.
0: Yeah, true. Okay, thanks, Thomas. You're welcome. Let's find out what is happening in the backcountry. Joining me on the phone is Mark from Utah Avalanche Forecast Center. Good morning, Mark.
2: Good morning, Michelle. Today the avalanche danger is considerable at all elevations and all aspects and um, you know it's really simple we've just had a ton of new snow and although winds are going to be calming today they've blown pretty strong the past few days from both the northwest and the southwest my main concern today is that the danger won't be all that obvious the snowpack won't be talking to people it'll seem fairly stable but just with all the snow there are many layers that have formed during all these storms, uh, essentially the glue needs time to dry. And uh, we keep adding snow and until we kind of get a break from the snow, things will remain a little bit more on the unstable side of things. So um, for today, I would just mainly avoid avalanche train, especially up high where the wind has been blowing.
0: That's an analogy everybody can understand. Let the glue dry.
2: (laughs) That's from one of our forecasters, Drew Hardesty.
0: I like it, okay, well, that is good information, thank you.
2: Thanks, have a good day.
0: You too. The Summit County Council will not hold this week's meeting at its usual location because it expects a large crowd at a public hearing on Dakota Pacific. So the meeting is going to be held at Ecker Middle School instead, that's later today. KPCW's Connor Thomas has more on what to expect.
3: Wednesday will be the first chance for the public to officially weigh in on the second draft of Dakota Pacific Real Estate's development proposal for land in Kimball Junction. The developer withdrew its previous application in 2021 after enormous public outcry. Almost a thousand people attended a public hearing that December online and in person, nearly all in opposition to the proposal. Dakota Pacific came back in 2022 with a revised and somewhat downsized proposal now being considered by the county council. Deputy County Manager Jana Young said that Wednesday's hearing will help the council see where things stand before it needs to make a decision.
0: The council's really committed to continuing through its process, its public process, and making sure that citizens have an opportunity to weigh in.
3: The new plan has fewer units and no hotel, as well as plans for a park and elder care facilities one-third of the 727 units are deed-restricted affordable housing and the rest are market rate. The council is evaluating the application as planned in spite of a bill headed to Governor Spencer Cox's desk that could force the development through anyway. Young leads a contingent of county officials who have been following the state legislature and she said that they are set to meet with Cox next week. County officials want Cox to understand their concerns about local control and that the bill may jeopardize funding that the state awarded High Valley Transit last year.
0: We're continuing to have conversations about that and trying to protect those dollars and to make folks realize that it impacts a lot of the state priorities.
3: Wednesday will be the first of two public hearings before the council is set to vote on March 15th. The meeting begins at 4 p.m. at Ecker Hill Middle School at 2465 Kilby Road. The public hearing on Dakota Pacific's project will begin at 5 p.m., running no later than 8.30. And the council will likely limit how long each individual can speak to get as many people in as possible. A link to attend the meeting via Zoom can be found in the online version of this report at kpcw.org. Connor Thomas, KPCW News.
0: It's 8 13. You're listening to the local news hour. Stay tuned. Coming up in just a moment, I'm talking to Summit County Community Development Director Pat Putt. And after Pat and I speak, I'll talk to Park City Manager Matt Dias. Joining me now on the phone is Pat Putt. He is Community Development Director for Summit County. Good morning, Pat. Good morning, Michelle. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for calling in. So we normally talk about new applications for development projects around the county. And you mentioned that there are none right now. D- that, does that happen very often?
4: Well, it's not so much that there are none is um, a bit uncharacteristically slow for you um, that you would typically see coming into to March. Usually we get uh, this time of the year and the clocks spring forward and so do the applications, but Uh, Since we chatted last month, we've only had 18 applications come in, and uh, that's a a bit remarkable for us, but doesn't mean that there isn't activity going on. I mean, of that 18, uh, there's two that kind of jump off the page at me. One is a conditional use permit for Summit County, uh, my employer, uh, we're looking to do an expansion onto the Summit County uh, Campus Services Building over in the Silver Creek area, uh, where the Justice Center and the Sheriff's Department is. The proposal is to construct and add on to those facilities an additional 54 to 50,000, 55,000 square feet of space. It'd be for Sheriff's operations and Attorney's office. Um, uh there's even a, a contemplated convention space meeting space i would read auditorium for public meetings in there uh, DMV would be potentially in there uh, and also the possibility of a child care facility which uh, you know i think everyone agree uh, we're always trying to find those opportunities the little ones here and so maybe an opportunity for that one over there as well the other application that's come in and I apologize, it's relatively new and I haven't had a chance with everything else that's going. i take a deep dive into looking at it, but it's a proposal in Lower Silver Creek, uh, just off of Silver Creek Drive. For those of us who've been around for a long time, we talk about Platte Eye, and that's that piece of ground as you're entering Silver Creek, uh, immediately west across the road from the, from the Bell's gas station. The proposal is to rezone that property, which is currently zoned rural residential to uh, a mixed-use zoning that would allow for uh, a mixed-use, some residential workforce housing and some commercial retail that goes through both the rezone process, a master plan development process. Uh, We're busy taking a look at what that involves. And I think we'll be targeting an initial work session for the Basin Planning Commission on that project the end of March, I think March 28 is what we're targeting for. But uh, the Justice Center expansion and this new project out in Silver Creek represents probably of the new things we have in front of us, the two bigger projects.
0: All right, the Silver Creek one sounds interesting. I understand it's brand new, so we'll We'll give you a minute to gather more intel on it, and then be curious to hear more about that. That's a pretty prominent spot, but yeah, but all in good time. First things first, right? Let's um, let's talk some more about Dakota Pacific. We've discussed it a lot. We're not stopping yet. The public hearing tonight is is the community's first chance to come and speak. Uh, the county's expecting a lot of crowds and uh, allotting a few hours. And while the public hearing is going on and the county council is still considering Dakota Pacific's application, um, the county's also watching the legislature to see if Governor Cox signs SB84, which would allow Dakota Pacific to build without county approval. Um, how are you preparing for that later?:
4: Oh, there's been a, to say that there's been a lot of work and a lot of energy expended getting to tonight's public hearing would be a gross underestimation i guess michelle what here's what i'm hoping for are are we prepared yeah i think we're we're, we're very much prepared um i think what's going to happen uh, this evening starting at five is there's going to be a brief introduction as to the public hearing i think we're going to quickly turn it over to the applicants, uh, Dakota Pacific, to give a concise update of what this current plan involves. Um, and I guess I focus on the term concise. I think everybody who's going to be involved in this process is pretty familiar with what was originally approved for the property, what's on the table now, but to kind of set the discussion, we're going to ask them to go through a brief presentation. And then I think we're going to open it up to the community to, to weigh in. And I think that this is really the first time, the first significant opportunity since the big public hearing that we had on December 1st in 2021. Um, if I can, I, I, would, I would never coach, you know, members <laughs> of the community on what they would say, but if I, if I was to offer any perspective, I I don't think that there's a need to remind the council that there's a lot of high energy around some of the recent legislative activity that's taking uh, place. Uh, Trust me, they they have it. Uh, What we're attempting to do tonight is to focus on this specific process and this specific project. What we're hoping to get out of it is, information from the community that the council can use to formulate a decision there won't be a decision made tonight there's going to be a follow-up public hearing uh, next week on the 8th and we're targeting i should use that word we're targeting a possible decision on the 15th in order for the council to make the best decision they can they need really good input from the community. And and what does that consist of? It's, you know, if there are possibilities for this site, if there are, you know, project design, project components that, you know, would be beneficial to the community that could be integrated into that project, this is the time to begin to explain that. I don't think it would be off base that if we would begin to try and get the public to engage what they see the future of that site being, what would work. And having that expressed is is that consistent with what's being proposed, what's on the table right now. If there are issues that how can I say what are potential fatal flaws with this project in the mind of the community, we need to we need to hear those. They need to be able to articulate that because at the end of the day council is going to draw some conclusions. In order to draw a conclusion, you got to have some facts behind it. And I've always said, you know, you know, in terms of w- why do we have public hearings, you know, is it is it just an opportunity to, you know, showcase a project and just get reaction? Well, you know, it's important that the community understands what a project's all about. You know, is it a you know, it's an opportunity to, you know, vent, well, in some cases, yeah, but really why the public hearings, and this one in particular, is so important, is really good community decision-making. And remember, you know, our lives are really touched at the local level, you know, really good local decision-making is, is almost like a three-legged stool or a tripod. First leg is the staff and the planning commission review of it. The final leg of the stool is going to be that council decision but the really key piece of it is that key leg of that stool is the community involvement and the community input why because it's the community that ultimately lives with the consequences of a decision and remember consequences are good consequences there are bad consequences but it's being able to get really good robust feedback from the community that a decision can be built on. That's what council's looking for tonight. And again, it won't be the last opportunity. We'll have at least one more uh, on the 8th. Not quite sure come the 15th, if the 8th meeting will be rolled in for additional public comment, we'll just have to see. But uh, that's what we're gonna do tonight. You know, everybody, you know, with all of the other matters that are circulating around this it's it's easy to get distracted by those i get it but everybody listening tonight if if we really want to be effective if we really want to begin to formulate the destiny of this project we need to focus on the project itself tonight and where the community sees you know the ultimate you know answer to that property at some point here in the future. That's what I would hope that we could focus on.
0: Okay. So the council is hoping that it's not just people telling them that they're mad and they don't want it. They also want to hear what people do want. Um, This is an issue that seems like it's gained really solid bipartisan opposition, which you don't see all the time. Um, Have you, have you heard from any contingent that is in favor of it in the community?
4: Well, let me let me just go back to something you just touched on, Michelle. Like again, I want to I want to emphasize the fact. I know people are upset. <laughs> there's 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 a lot of feeling all around this. Trust me, both in the public and within the organization here, we we get that. I wouldn't say that, you know, people shouldn't have the opportunity to to vent or express, I think they will. But if they really, really want to be helpful, they'll quickly get beyond that and begin to address the nature of project. We have a project in front of it. Does that project meet the necessary community standards? Is it consistent with the general plans? Is it consistent with the underlying zoning? Is it consistent with with the intent behind some of the decisions that were made going back as far as 2008? That, that's what we're we're really focusing on. Um, As part of that, I, I think it's, it's absolutely appropriate and fair to begin to have people begin to articulate this particular piece of property and how it becomes part of the solution finding to some of our problems in the area. Um, That's gonna be the key focus this evening.
0: Okay, so going back to the the second part, um, have you talked to anybody who says, yes, let's do this in the community, residents?
4: You know, we've heard heard from some individuals, but the thing is, I've never heard, and maybe I just haven't been paying attention closely enough. I haven't heard people say that um, there isn't a need for uh, workforce housing. There, it would be inappropriate to put housing there. I haven't heard anybody say that in terms of modifying some of these uses that on its face is a fatal flaw. I think it boils down to two aspects that, you know, we've been wrestling with and the community's been wrestling with. One is a quantitative aspect of this, the numbers that are involved, the square footages that are involved. And two, the qualitative, you know, the overall design of the project and how it is uh, intended to integrate or not integrate into the existing neighborhood which needs some integration help for sure but you know it's both the sheer number the impacts of the numbers and is it designed in a way that meets some of those objectives of you know connecting people to services connecting people from you know, one portion of the neighborhood to the other, the east side to the west side, helping to manage the overall circulation of not only cars, but cars and people in transit. And um, I don't think that I've ever heard anyone say, we shouldn't do that. As a matter of fact, I think that's sort of the, that's ground zero for the discussion, is whether this project achieves those objectives. Mm -hmm. Um, So at the end of the day, tonight i think we're going to get uh, a lot of hopefully valuable feedback that will be able to roll into the discussion on the 8th but at the end what council really really needs is is factual feedback from folks doesn't mean that they can't express themselves and they're frustrated many of us are frustrated but What we're we're looking for is that substantial evidence that council can use to make the decision because at the end of the day what we have is an existing development agreement in the form of a contract should council change that agreement, change that contract. That's what we're looking for and in order to do that they need real meat on the bones. They need they need facts, they need evidence on where the community benefit is to do so.
0: Okay. And then simultaneously, county leaders are emphasizing both here and in the Capitol that local control and the need for housing are separate issues. Um, Deputy County Manager, Janet Young said yesterday that uh, the county is still trying to work with the legislature and, try to address SB 84 while you're proceeding with, with the process of, of the public hearing. Um, any updates on what the governor's likely to do? I, I think we talked about how it wasn't clear whether or not the legislature had enough votes to overrule him. We've got three more days unless they go into special session
4: um, no no updates that I can provide uh, the listening audience this morning. It, 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 this is a challenge. I've never been in a situation before in my 40-year career where we have a situation like this, a project that's this high profile, that's this significantly important, and it's immersed within a broader legislative uh, debate and discussion. I know one thing for, for sure, is we have an incredible team of attorneys here at the county and they also have assistance and resources. They are studying all of this, they are analyzing the impacts of this and they are formulating our options. Um, it's, it's sometimes tough to do it simultaneously, but I'm, I'm rather impressed with how they're being able to do that and helping us keep our eye on the, on the target and that target is completing this application process. We have a procedural due process responsibility to complete this exercise. And that's what we're gonna do. And one of the big fundamental steps towards moving this to the little tiny end of the funnel is gonna start tonight at five o'clock. I wanna remind people that, you know, I think the Ecker Hill auditorium Holds around 400 people. Um, I'm sure it's going to be pretty full. We're going to try and have some resources there to help kind of manage people, so they can they can listen in if they want to speak. They can they can speak, but remember that we also have a Zoom link. That if you're unable to make it, if all of a sudden the two to four inches show up and the roads get bad, you'll have ability to access the hearing and give input via via the internet via
0: Zoom. Yep, that's an important reminder. People can get that link from the Summit County, Utah website and we will have it on our website as well. All right, well, we just have another minute. And if you wanna turn your attention away from Dakota Pacific, just briefly, I thought we could finish by chatting with an update on some of the grocery store projects and rumors. Um, Ground has been broken on Anaya's. Do we know when that might open? Oh, sorry. That's I just okay. had a
4: call come in and it must've disconnected us. Uh, Anaya's broke, Anaya's broke ground. We're thinking that the build-out will be here uh, through the, the 2023 season. My guess would be an opening in early 2024. If there's changes to that, and I'll look into that uh, and report next time, I'll, I'll let you know.
0: That sounds good. People are looking forward to that. People are also looking forward to this dream of having a Trader Joe's go into the Bed Bath & Beyond space. There's been a lot of chatter about that. Um, From my understanding, that's not going anywhere at this point. Is that correct, Pat? Yeah,
4: uh, I too heard Yeah, that's correct. I too have heard a similar rumor, but uh, we at the planning department have not been contacted by anyone, either the property owner or Trader Joe's to actually have a discussion about that. If we do, uh, I'll make sure everyone knows, but to date, no, no direct discussion or dialogue on that.
0: Okay, and I think I even saw somebody circulating a petition, which people do periodically trying to get Trader Joe's here. And then there was a rumor that they're not allowed to come because there was some sort of uh, agreement with other grocers that they can't open the Trader Joe's within a certain amount of proximity. Is there any truth to that?
4: Mm, I can't speak factually to that. There wouldn't be anything that the county would be party of that would limit that possibility from happening. Um, I just, that, that one's a new one with me, but I can say with certainty that there isn't anything Uh, on the county side that we would be a party to such an arrangement.
0: Sure. Do things like that happen among the private landowners?
4: I wouldn't be surprised in certain locations with certain uses that might be, but Mm -hmm. uh, I have not personally heard about this one in the Kimball Junction area when it comes to to grocery stores. Um, Perhaps there's something and the, the lease agreements with the underlying property ownership that would speak to that, but I'm, I'm unfamiliar with it being in place in the junction.
0: All right, well, maybe we need to look into that. Okay, I'll leave it there, Pat. Thanks so much.
4: Michelle, thanks for having me and sorry for that brief disconnect.
0: No problem. I'll see ya. Okay. That was Summit County Community Development Director, Pat Putt for joining me in the studio. Thanks for making your way through the snow, Park City Manager, Matt Dias.
5: Hi, Michelle, good morning.
0: Good morning. All right, let's talk about the City Council's upcoming retreat. Is that just a euphemism for a very long meeting?
5: (laughs) I hadn't heard that one before, Uh, but it is. We do it twice a year. We take an opportunity. Uh, Once a year, we do two days and uh, mid-year we do a one day retreat. We have the ability to have a less constrained environment. Uh, Typically our meetings are heavily regulated. Um, and the mayor is trying to move through a myriad of items, contractual or workshops or work sessions and study sessions and approvals and denials. And, you know, I don't really think there's much we're approving or denying in this year's retreat. This is more an opportunity to step back, be able to reflect on the year that we've had, look ahead and then have unrestrained discussions where council gets to dig deep and kind of auger in on things that they care about. Um, So again, happens twice a year. And what we have this Thursday, Friday is a two day session.
0: Okay let's let's get into some of the stuff that you're gonna be talking about. On Thursday, you could approve a contract with the planning firm MKSK that would launch a study for the city's land at, at Kearns and Bonanza, which we have been calling in recent years, arts and culture district. How's the study gonna work?
5: Um, so we talked about this last week. It was on our council agenda last week, but unfortunately we, we, we didn't have it for, a, um, I believe a public hearing. So we had to do that this time. Um, Nonetheless, uh, you know, we've been working for years. Uh, The city was able to acquire a keystone parcel in the heart of town in what's conventionally known as the arts and culture district, but it's more in this Bonanza park area. Uh, Council um, taking a lot of public feedback along the way said, you know, we'd be wise to do an entire area plan and a feasibility study for the cultural or a potential cultural district. So we put out a request for proposals And to be honest, we favored um, the aspect that one firm would potentially bid on both of those components. As opposed to having two competing consultancy agencies working with a myriad of stakeholders and property owners and small business owners and residents in our community, our preference was really one. However, you know, that wasn't necessarily a requirement. So we were fortunate to receive uh, the proposal that we're recommending from MKSK, which is a firm out of the mid-Atlantic that's done a lot of projects, uh, in, in our opinion that really, you know, take into account the history of the area that they're in. They're very focused on historic preservation. They're very focused on the natural environment, but then also looking ahead to sort of progressive redevelopment where high sensitivity to connectivity and connections with the neighboring areas, um, elevating the stance of local businesses that are already in the area. So what we have before council is what we were hoping for, which is one group, that put a proposal together for both the feasibility plan for the cultural district and the larger area master planning process. And we're coming in to kick, off, um, to kick off that work this spring and we need to sign a contract to do so.
0: All right. So too soon to say, but everybody's very well aware of what some of the arts and culture district ideas were. Is, is there any of runner up idea for that property (laughs) at this
5: point well i I think that's actually a fine question i I think council was really clear at their last retreat that one of the big questions is does the community continue to desire um, an arts and cultural district in this area and so that's something that we're going to have to confront right out of the gate through this collaborative stakeholder engagement process Um, i'm unaware that there is a a clear runner up or a number two, so to speak. But we've heard a variety of requests over time from um, a more a more village scheme. We've heard people ask for parks or recreational amenities, uh, sports amenities. We've asked for people, uh, people have asked for a big parking lot or big parking garage. So it really runs the gamut. Um, I think the important thing is getting, um, Community members and stakeholders together in a collaborative way, where people can vet those ideas, share those ideas, express their vision for this area, and then to begin to narrow that process and narrow the funnel down to a shared vision, shared land use concept for this for this area. But you know, through these processes, everything will be on the table. So um, you know, the craziest idea to the most mainstream idea will be will be welcomed.
0: All right, and so you're thinking that it's going to. Take around three or four months. Any sense of how many responses you want, or just kind of as many as possible? Well, uh, you
5: know, I don't think I, I don't think we have any idea of how many responses. So I guess I'll defer to the as many as pos- possible statement. But we are forming two important. We'll call them stakeholder committees. Sort of these driving task force committees that will be convening groups, working with small businesses, working with trade associations um, in these areas, holding open houses, and working with the consultant team to reflect and represent the community. So both of those groups, there's going to be two separate groups. There's applications are available on our website and we're encouraging residents, small business owners, um, recreation enthusiasts, the cultural enthusiasts. We're just asking people to apply and then the mayor and council uh, plan to appoint these two different committees. So it's going to be really important that we get a good deal of interest.
0: What's the deadline to apply for the stakeholder committees?
5: I knew you were going to say that (laughs) and I don't know off the top of my head. That's okay,
0: we'll find it. Yeah, but it's it's on our
5: homepage right on our website.
0: Okay, all right. Let's talk about some other stuff on your agenda. You're gonna get a briefing on the results of the national community survey. It was conducted last year. Almost 1000 people took that survey all within the 84060. Some of the highlights, if you've gone through it, um, people are not quite as happy as they were the last time they took the survey how striking are some of these declines? It's a it's a thir- almost a thirty percent decrease in the number of people who said they think the overall direction of the city is excellent or good. Forty three percent decline in how many people think that traffic flow is excellent or good. Which obviously those go hand in hand.
5: Well, I, you know. I guess, you know, it's in the eyes of the beholder. This is a survey that we've been doing for about 15 years and, um, you know, the, the, this is a wonderful filter for the mayor and council to be able open, a strategic retreat and have feedback real time about how the community's feeling, you know, what, what may have changed. Are there any different philosophies in our psychology and our values and so, um, you know, we're just starting to dig into this. Like you, we just received the survey information last week. Um, I think, you know, what jumped off the paper to me is just the responses were up almost 40%. So we've been doing this survey for almost 15 years. And just to think that we had like a 40% increase in response rate. I don't know if that has to do with a lot of people working at home or an influx of new residents or people just paying attention and our ability to get this survey out. But that out of the gate, was really interesting to me because it means that this survey is going to be more statistically relevant. But um, you know, overall, my step back and just a quick evaluation: Park City continues to be an exceptional place to live, work, you know, play, raise a family. But success brings challenges. Uh, what jumped off to me is the the frustrations with traffic and congestion. You know, there's this notion that in this survey, I get the sense that we want it all without any impacts. We want it all without any inconveniences. And and so I think that's something that the mayor and council and the community is gonna have to wrestle with. Um, the other thing that jumped off the, the paper to me was, you know, every community was more or less down. Um, it, it appears to me there's sort of a national trend, and I don't know if this is a post COVID hangover, so to speak, um, but there just seemed to be this this fr- frustration in societal trends. I and mean, a lot of people are not trusting medicine and science and institutions and academia. And so, uh, what jumped off the paper to me is that local government and government itself was no different in this survey. I was uh, encouraged though, about the opportunities with our benchmark. Uh, we were benchmarking in particular against other resort communities. So. Know, Myrtle Beach, Kenny Bunkport, Sedona, sort of you name it, a collection of other resort communities. And we continue to rank very, very high with, with those communities that like us are also experiencing these frustrations.
0: Mm-hmm. And just glancing at a few bullet points from it, the news wasn't all bad. There, people are responding saying they still find Park City safe and highly desirable as a place to live. And then good reviews of the public transit system.
5: I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. I, I think um, you know we're just beginning to dig into this as a huge block of information. I, I will encourage the public to actually. Um, you know, If you go to the councils, uh, to our meeting website and you click on this link, there's a, a software platform that is really user-friendly. And so you can take a question and you can divide that question by race and ethnicity, by age, by longevity in the community, by gender. And so there are really fascinating ways to look at the responses to some of these questions that we've asked.
0: All right. We'll go click through and read the rest of it so another big piece of Thursday's meeting speaking of transportation um, three hour plus work session on that subject council members have been asking for it um, what's what's the main objective
5: well I th- you know I think the main objective is um, we have uh, we adopted a comprehensive transportation plan and that plan affirms a lot of I'll call them principles or planning principles um, and community values. And so um, the aspect of spending two to three hours with an outside facilitator is to move to a little bit uh, the the lower level where we're actually some more strategic action oriented um, initiatives that we can take. So what that means in English is moving away from ad hoc planning principles, sort of the guiding North star discussions and getting more into the tactical approaches um, and then making people discuss and 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 represent you know the difficult choices so by way of an example Something like traffic. How are we going to approach traffic? Are we going to try to solve for all people at all the time, which is nearly impossible? Are we going to prioritize residents? Are we going to prioritize our workforce? Are we going to elevate moving um, visitors in and out? Are we going to approach this on a supply or demand model? So there's many different ways of approaching these guiding principles in a tactical manner. And we're going to try to suss out where we have consensus and perhaps where we have differences. The hardest question is, you know, we can't solve for all people at all the time and, and remain effective. And so we're going to have to make some hard choices down the road. And what we're going to do is an unconstrained discussion with an outside facilitator, moving away from sort of the planning principles and more into the tactical approaches.
0: All right. That'll keep you busy Thursday. Let's talk about Friday's agenda. Friday afternoon, the council is scheduled to hold a workshop on what is titled international worker and rental regulation. What's that going to entail?
5: Well, you know, we're responding directly to a request from from the mayor, which is we will have a briefing from the chief building official about Park City's um, building code and occupancy regulations. And what that means is, you know, I think that the mayor, uh, given some of the discussions and the media reporting lately about um, overcrowding in some of the uh, rental units in town, particularly with our international workforce, um, wants to set a uh, fact pattern of what the municipality can and can't do, what our codes and regulations allow for and don't allow for. So the chief building official will be coming in and setting that, pack, that fact pattern, providing some context and background. Um, you know, currently we do license short-term rentals and we do not license long-term rentals. Um, conventional wisdom has we've been trying to ensure and reduce any barriers to long-term um, rental housing in our community. And there, I think there has been conventional wisdom that, you know, the more checks and balances and regulation you put into that, perhaps the less likely people are to offer their rental unit for in a long-term basis. So um, it's really like a workshop, setting the fact pattern, allowing council to discuss this, and then I think we're the mayor's invited some important stakeholders. There's a lot of nonprofits. Um, there's a lot of Um, uh, businesses that employ international workers. And so I think the mayor has invited a bunch of stakeholders to be part of this workshop.
0: So in terms of the the licensing and the hurdles, are you saying that right now short-term rentals, as they require licensing, it's a little more difficult to run them than it is to run long-term. I think we all know short-term is more profitable. Are you saying you're trying to balance taking care of people in long-term rentals with not um, pushing property owners out of the long-term rental market. That That's a tricky balance. Going back to the codes, is it correct that one of the codes that the building officials operate under is people per toilet or, or toilet per people or whatever it is?
5: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I am aware that there's, um five or six different uh, types of occupancy measures for a residential or commercial um, unit. And so the building official will be going through those. I, I believe there's a square footage calculation. I believe there is a, um a toilet calculation or some sort of sanitary calculation but there's also a myriad of ingress and egress and fire code and you know how close you are to stairs and stairwells so there's a myriad of occupancy uh, measures however you know, I think the building official is is going to warn we are somewhat limited in this regard I think the, the the legislature and otherwise you know doesn't look very favorably on heavy regulations in this area so to your point earlier we're attempting to balance the health safety and welfare of our community mm-hmm. and the ensuring that there's no occupational, sorry, not occupational, that there's no occupancy hazards. Um, At the same time, I think, you know, we're trying to balance enabling people to have long-term rentals to support our workforce here and, and, and where that balance lies, you know, that's a moving target for us.
0: So the city's businesses have relied on J1 workers for a very, very long time. Um, these problems are not new. It feels like it kind of goes in waves where there will be some problems highlighted and everybody will pay attention and then it'll kind of go quiet and then it comes back. Obviously, the Tribune just did a a pretty um, surprising story about J-1s in Park City, which is maybe what you were referring to. But is there a sense that things are worsening for J-1s, generally speaking, given given the market, the, the cost of living here?
5: Well, I mean, that's a complex question, obviously. I think, yes, I would say things are worsening as the housing stock and our housing crisis becomes more acute and there's less opportunities. I, you know, to be fair and very transparent, the city does not employ any international workers in this regard. So this is not an area of expertise for us. We have expertise in codes and building regulations and occupancy. Um, You know, I like to think that most of the property owners in our community are very responsible and are ethical and have been supporting um, our workforce and the tourism economy for years. However, just as you mentioned, we have bad actors from time to time and um, this thing does tend to flare up and uh, we attempt to be responsive with either law enforcement or our building officials. And so this ebbs and flows, but uh, I'd like to think that most of the property owners are good actors, we have those that aren't. And I think, you know, we wanna provide some sunlight for those that don't operate with ethics and uh, hold them accountable. And this is a tough space for any municipal government.
0: Yeah, it's, it's not like it would be possible for the city to keep tabs on every single situation in which a J1 comes in and doesn't get the hourly pay that was promised, or doesn't get the hours that were promised, or doesn't get the living conditions that were promised. It's beyond the scope of what the city can do. Are, Are resorts participating in in any part of Friday?
5: I I believe the mayor has invited representatives from the resorts and lodging properties um, and and, and otherwise. I I think initially this is just a foundational exercise trying to provide this fact pattern, hearing some from some municipal officials, uh, creating the opportunity for council to have a discussion. Um, So, you know, this is likely to be iterative. Again, we don't have expertise in bringing these individuals here. Our expertise is really on the life, safety, health and welfare aspects of it. but um, you know, since this isn't our area of expertise, this is likely more of a convening or facilitation exercise than it is a logistical next steps.
0: I'm just thinking about Mountain Towns 2030. That just popped into my head. Will any other mountain towns weigh in? Do we have any people that we're looking at or is it too early to?
5: I'd say it's too early to tell, but that, you know, from our um, participation in the, there's a, a trade association called the Colorado Association of Ski Towns and Mountain Towns. Um, This is a pervasive problem across resort communities. Again, I like to think that most of the employers are acting in good faith with good ethics and they run very successful programs. And then there are always a few bad actors that uh, put a blemish on our record.
0: All right, if we can take a minute and talk about the legislative session, three days to go. Um, Just as the county is watching some stuff very closely, I know the city is too. We just heard from um, Pat Putt talking about the county's perspective on the legislation that is potentially gonna take away local control of Kimball Junction development. Um, you're watching a fractional ownership bill and um, you're all, is it a separate bill that you're looking at that is going to look at people building underground?
5: Yeah, this is sort of a it's a complex situation where we have two different things happening at once. The first is Senate Bill 271, which is a housing ownership bill, I think is what it's technically called, but in um, layman's terms it's the fractional ownership bill, which is a full-blown attempt for to preempt cities and towns from regulating fractional ownership. Period. So we have a local ordinance we put in place in response to the growth of, you know, corporate entities and profiteering off of our primarily residential neighborhoods and the negative impact that has for middle income and our affordable housing stock, that is likely to be preempted at a state level. Um, Concurrently, there was another uh, piece of legislation, um, House Bill 406, which was largely a land use bill and a housing affordability bill that at the last minute Some additional language was added that appeared to target a specific property in Old Town where um, the attempt was to sort of circumvent a 30-year-old development agreement with the Sweeney's and undermine um, the ability for a city or town to have a cup process and then as most folks know if you want to build an old town steep slopes, sensitive lands overlaid historic district resign review all of these other uh, code requirements in our local process to protect the historic district and our natural environment would also undermine those so um The long story short, we were able to have that information removed from the larger housing affordability and land use bill. We are told that in the next 48 hours, that language targeting um, a property in Old Town will likely be inserted into this fractional ownership bill. Uh, So uh, it's a a bit of a twofer where we were able to win on the first round by getting it removed from a larger housing and land use bill, but it is likely to be stuck into this fractional ownership bill.
0: So, for all the residents who were bemoaning a loss of local control over the Kimball Junction legislation, which could be described as spot zoning. This sounds like it's maybe taking spot zoning to a new level, an entire state bill with language that affects one Park City property. Is that what you're saying?
5: Um, You know, that's our belief. So, you know, this is obviously a very complicated situation. A lot of high powered lobbyists, um, you know, working to continue to erode the ability of cities and towns to have land use ordinances and local control. Um, But yeah, it's very, very concerning. And I think this is emblematic of some of the tone and tenor and the nature of the legislature lately, that they not trusting cities and towns to make these decisions. And they are willing to provide some special and preferential treatment. I think, you know, at their level, they are looking at the state at a, you know, from 60,000 feet and they see these um, local ordinances as just an inhibition to further growth and development. They're looking at the housing crisis as purely a supply and demand um, equation and focus less on maintaining affordability and deed restrictions and the things that actually create affordable housing and more just on adding supply. The more units they believe will bring down the price overall and that's the state interest. Here in Park City from time to time, this has happened from year to year. We will have the interest of an individual neighbor you know, attempt to go down to the legislature and have their interests supersede those of the others. And that's unfortunate.
0: It sounds... Interesting. On the one hand, yeah, you've got a home, you wanna do what you want. On the other, if you're building on a steep hillside and a bunch of people are doing all sorts of projects, um, excavating it sooner or later, there could be a structural situation. It seems like if the legislature is gonna direct that, they might need to send some building inspectors.
5: Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, the most disappointing um, aspect of this bill, of this language to the municipality is that um, the local process has actually never been tested. So, uh, you know, the, 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 quasi-application, the pending application, has never made it through our land use process. They have never fundamentally called the question with our planning commission or even presented the information and I would say, but for that happening there's no way that we could be supportive or engage in a negotiation or otherwise when an applicant is unwilling to use the same process as every other neighbor and property owner in our community and we find that offensive. I mean we find that offensive because we put a lot of time and effort into having a transparent fair and equitable process and I think the ability for someone to on the legislature without at least testing that first is inappropriate and it's unfortunate. That being said, I want to assure the community doing everything we can to stop this legislation, but it's going to be incredibly hard. There's only 48 hours left and we anticipate this is going to come down to the absolute wire.
0: Okay, we'll watch it. I've got to leave it there. Okay. I,
5: I have one thing. I know you're trying to kick me out of here, but I want to let the community know that the mayor and council are moving forward on a full-blown um, microtransit pilot. So what that means is in the past, we've only had two or three zones in the city for microtransit, but all of Park City is now going to be covered by microtransit. So this is going to be a five-week period in March, a use it or lose it. We are going citywide. Please go to your uh, download the place you download apps, pick up the High Valley Transit app for microtransit in Park City and test the system and we want as many people to use this algorithm as possible and we hope it works.
0: Okay, thank you so much. Thanks so much. That was Park City Manager, Matt Dias.